0: Well hello everyone, it's uh, Steve here and I want to uh, say hello whether you're watching in Morning Church or Night Church this is a pre-recorded message today Uh, this week's been an interesting one Uh, we've had uh, both Matt Leach and myself get down with the COVID and uh, so uh, thanks for your prayers with regards to that Uh, it's been a real shame uh, not being able to go up the mountain to kick with the youth this weekend I've been uh, really sad about that Um, but uh, I know that uh, one way or the other if you're watching this in the morning love you to pray for those who are going along to kick and uh, if you're uh, watching this at night I hope you've had a great time kickers and uh, feel free to scream out and let me hear you from home right now if you like that'd be great and uh, I know that's a bit odd if you're in the morning service but there we are (laughs) and so because uh, we're both in this situation uh, we've got uh, a pre-recorded sermon today, so thank you for uh, your flexibility with that. I know it's not quite as good as, uh, as in-person and uh, live as the two options, but this is the best we've got for today. Uh, a couple of things to let you know about as far as announcements go. Uh, our holiday club is going ahead and continuing to go ahead. Uh, we've been praying and thankful that uh, it has been able to go ahead this year. Um, although we've got a few challenges there with regards to that in the week ahead, but um, the team will step up and, uh, and we'll organise that and uh, most of it has been organised already. So we're really thankful for that and uh, looking forward to what that week will bring. Uh, if you're able to bring some food for that, there's a clipboard going around just now in the service and we'd love you to sign up to bring some food uh, and Rod and Wendy Gruggen are the people in charge of that. If you want more information, contact them. The Holiday Club is still open for registration, and so there's still a chance for you to register your kids for the Holiday Club, year one to year six. uh, And it's a great opportunity for them to invite friends to come along as well. It will be a great time uh, from 9 to 1.30 on Tuesday, Wednesday and Thursday. If you're a part of the team and you're wondering what's going on with Matt and myself out at different times, uh, I will send you some information about that today. And uh, if you haven't already received it, you'll receive it today. Uh, just uh, reassuring you of what's going to happen and that all the plans are in place actually uh, and we can uh, go for it with regards to that. A couple of other things, the Easter services are next weekend and uh, we are planning on being fine for those. So we're looking forward to those. Good Friday, 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. and Easter Sunday, 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. The Good Friday service will be a little bit different as it has been in the past and a soup dinner afterwards. Again, if you're able to make a soup dinner, Terry Mann's the person to see and you can also sign up for that on the clipboard as well as it goes around today. Uh, Please think about who you you and you to invite others in our community to this parenting course. It's been a great time over the previous years to bring uh, this helpful wisdom Uh, to the community yes it's biblical wisdom but it's also biblical wisdom that's accessible to the community i remember the last time we ran it someone from the community uh, was a bit unsure of what to expect and especially because it was in a church Uh, but as they uh, uh, understood it a little more they came to see the wisdom in the bible was actually really great uh, and uh, were more and more committed to the course as time went on so do sign up to come along and to uh, consider being a part of that six monday nights And uh, please do sign up on the website for that. Now, the next thing to tell you about is about our marriage course. This is a fair way out, but we want to give you time to plan for it. It's on the 15th and 16th of July, and it's down in Kiama. And the idea there is that there's a a session in uh, building a safe and strong marriage that we'll do together at Kiama Anglican on Friday night. And then you as a couple can stay over in Kiama at an accommodation place of your choosing. And then uh, on Saturday, we complete the course uh, throughout the day. Uh, We're looking forward to this because it's a great time to strengthen your marriage. Again, uh, great uh, participants last year, and this is a new way of doing it uh, that might be easier than coming in a course format. And so just uh, a day and a bit, one overnight getaway, uh, good for your marriage, but also uh, uh, good to build a safe and strong marriage. So uh, sign up for that now and put it in your diary straight away so that you can book that uh, accommodation down in Cliamma and make the most of that weekend together as well. Alright, well we're going to spend some time looking at God's Word today and uh, we are going to do our best. I'm sorry if I cough and splutter through this, uh, but it's going to be uh, a great morning and evening as well as we look at John chapter 2. One of the great privileges that I have as an Anglican minister is being able to conduct weddings. Uh, And uh, I know that uh, as I conduct weddings, uh, that uh, I for uh, forever have a central place in the life of that couple I'm really privileged by that I know that uh, Mark Charleston was the minister that married us uh, at Engadine Anglican in 1999 uh, and uh, he still holds an important place in our lives it's just such an important privilege and I thank God that I can play that privilege in the lives of so many couples uh, it is a great uh and, uh, and generous privilege. And I love being able to walk with couples through towards their wedding day and conduct that service uh, uh, for them uh, and to uh, to help them uh, on day one of their marriage. It's a great and momentous day, your wedding day, isn't it, when you think about it like that? Now, of course, uh, one of the things that happens when you prepare people for marriage is you're starting to talk about the wedding plans, now, oftentimes, there's one person in the couple who takes the lead on this, and they're particularly keen to make all of the uh, detailed decisions, and they've got an idea in their mind of what the wedding must look like. Now, of course, to its extreme, there are TV shows like this, aren't there, that talk about, uh, well, uh, wedding planners and, uh, and couples that are perhaps not on the same page with regards to their wedding plans. Uh, but we all know that they, there are important plans to be made and uh, sometimes the other spouse uh, is just happy to go with the flow. Is that how it works? Uh, I'm not sure what it was like for you or what it is like for you. Uh, either way, everyone wants it to be a perfect day, don't they? And they say, what a wonderful day it's been. It's been a perfect day. It's been absolutely fantastic. What a great day. But imagine for a moment, that you've organized the reception after the wedding and you turn up to the reception venue and you find out that they weren't ready for you or you booked the wrong day or they just forgot about you. That would be an immediate problem, wouldn't it? All these guests arriving, maybe a hundred different guests all dressed up in their suits and there was a huge problem. No food, no drinks, no room even to meet him. What would you do? I know for a couple recently, uh, they were stuck as a result of some of the flooding that was uh, taking place around the area. And they had to move their service from one place to another uh, at the last minute. And some of our church members were involved in doing that. Uh, And it was a very uh, successful job as far as I can understand it. If it didn't go to plan, what would you do? Well, I know that if you turned up to the reception venue and you'd done everything right and then it all went wrong, the couple would be well within their rights to feel annoyed, to feel frustrated, to feel, well, just a little bit ticked off. Well, such is the situation that Jesus found himself in at the very beginning of his ministry. Jesus' three years of his ministry uh, begins in John's Gospel in John chapter 2. And this morning, what we're going to see, and tonight as well, sorry, what we're going to see is that Jesus comes to take care of this situation. When all goes wrong in the wedding, Jesus comes to fix it and to show his glory. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to dive into John chapter 2 together. Uh, Heavenly Father, please be with us today as we look at this part of your word. Please allow my voice to hold out, and uh, more than anything, that it might be uh, understandable and uh, relatable, and that uh, we might see. Your glory in the book of John's gospel. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like our weddings here, uh, weddings in the time of Jesus were also meticulously planned. Uh, In some way, it was a reflection upon the family to be able to look after their guests. And in some small way, it's the same today, isn't it? Many wedding celebrations today are very important. And they uh, really focus on the hospitality of the family that are putting on the wedding. Well, in the Middle East, uh, many of these wedding celebrations would go on for days, sometimes a week or more. Uh, And uh, the family would organize this. And, of course, you could imagine if it's hard to run a five-hour reception, imagine how difficult it would be to run a five-day one or even more. It would be really hard to organize all the things that you need and to have the wedding planned out and to make sure all the food and drink was there. Well, Jesus was at one such wedding with his family as a a guest, probably for a family friend. And uh, they get uh, some way through the wedding and they find out that there is a massive problem. The wine had run out. Now, that was seriously problematic, of course, uh, because this is like booking the reception place and there not being enough beef and chicken uh, or whatever the case may be. This was a major problem. However, as you notice in the passage, Jesus' mother Mary knew how to deal with the problem. Let's just get Jesus involved. And so matter of factly, she says to his son, Jesus, she says to her son, Jesus, they have no wine. And look at what Jesus says in verse four. Jesus said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. It's a strange response, isn't it? We'll come back to that in a moment. But... Uh, further on in verse five, uh, Mary seems to pretty much ignore what Jesus says, and says this his mother said to he said to the servants, "Do whatever he tells you he's in charge, do whatever he tells you. She understands that Jesus has the ability to fix whatever the problem is and to make good this situation of the wedding and she was right, she was right. Jesus went on from there to order six 20 to 30 gallon jars to be filled with water and the water was transformed into wine now 20 to 30 gallons what are we talking about there well we're talking about 80 to 100 liters of wine now it seems like a lot doesn't it seems like a lot to us it seems like over the top uh, but we don't know how many people were there and we don't know how long the old the old uh, wedding went for uh in any case and so uh, we're not quite sure uh, whether that was a lot or a little uh, but, uh, but Jesus manages to transform this small amount into a lot of wine. And the wine that he provides is no wine out of a box. This is, uh, this is grange material that we've got here. Beautiful stuff. The best. Even striking the guests at the wedding, that it was so good, that it was amazing. Because the tradition was, you would start... Uh, with the good wine early on in the wedding, uh, in the first couple of days, perhaps, of the wedding, and then you would get to the boxes of wine or whatever the dodgy stuff was uh, later on in the wedding week. Now, this is serious. It's important for us to notice this. Jesus is no prude or no killjoy. He's making huge amounts of wine for people to celebrate this wedding for the period of a week. Jesus was into people having an enjoyable time, seriously, thoughtfully, not stupidly, not losing control, of course, but he made good wine. This was considered to be the first great miracle that Jesus ever conducted, turning the water into wine. And in it, we see just a small glimpse of the glory of the person of Jesus Christ. We get a small glimpse of what it is that Jesus had come to do. Look there at verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee, and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Verse 11 makes it clear that when his glory was manifested amongst the people, it was made clear. Well, we often have those amazing sporting feats, don't we? Those amazing Olympic events. Now, of course, we had the Olympics last year. It was supposed to be the year before and all of that sort of stuff that's gone on over the last couple of years. But we know that when you get to the Olympics, you start to see the glory of the amazing things that these people can do. I remember uh, way back when, when Usain Bolt was in his pomp, uh, he would uh, famously say on his Twitter account over and over again, I am the best athlete In the world. The best athlete in the world. Or maybe it was true. Either way, he was displaying his glory clearly. Now, what could he do? Well, he could run really fast for a short period of time. And that's about it. Nonetheless, he wanted to display his glory for everyone to see. But when Jesus displays his glory, he turns the water into wine. And verse 11 says he displays his glory, the glory of a greater glory to come, a glory that shows off his greatness. Now, actually, it points forward to a a glory that will be revealed later on in John's gospel, later on in this particular book of the Bible. This is what brings us back to verse four. Look at what Jesus says, woman. What does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. The hour for Jesus to show off his ultimate glory has not yet come. There is a greater glory than making water turn into wine. And this glory will be revealed amazingly in John's gospel at Jesus' death, something we'll look at more closely again next week as we think about Easter together. A death which Jesus would die on the cross to forgive you and me from the sins that we have committed. This is the only way that anybody can enter eternal life, through trusting Jesus, who dies in our place. And this is always the cornerstone of what it is that we believe. This is the key factor when it comes to the Christian faith. And the cross is where the greatest glory of God is seen. This is where God does his greatest work. This is the hour which Jesus speaks about in verse 4. Against all odds, Jesus dies on the cross and he is victorious over sin and he shows off his glory and he takes his very last breath and dies on the cross and in so doing forgives us and shows the greatest glory to the world. This is what we'll see next week as we look together at the Easter story at the end of the book of John. Well, as we look further into verse 11, We see that as Jesus reveals the smaller glory here of turning the water into wine, his disciples believed him. Look again at verse 11. This, the first of his signs, Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Literally, they had faith in Jesus. They trusted him. This faith is more than mere admiration at this point. Uh, many, many years ago when I was a teenager, uh, there was a band who put out a song that I used to love. It was not really a song so much as a poem, uh, but it was called Jesus Was Way Cool. It uh, used to get played on Triple J and all those sorts of Hottest 100s and all that sort of stuff. And it was more so a poem to music uh, rather than a song. Uh, now, the the singer of the band clearly wasn't a Christian in any way, shape or form. If you check out any of these other songs, you can see that very, very clearly. But he did say Jesus was way cool. Everybody loved Jesus. He turned water into wine. And if he wanted to, he could have made the greatest cake in the world or could have danced better than Baryshnikov or could have told the future, could have scored more goals than Wayne Gretzky. And so the song goes on. And the ultimate line of the song is Jesus was way cool. Now, whatever was going on in the mind of the author of that poem or that song, they admired Jesus greatly. And they admire him, especially at the start, for changing water into wine. But the Bible makes it clear, admiration is not the same as faith. Admiration is not the same as faith. See, what we need in order to be saved and enter heaven is not admiration of Jesus, or adoration even of Jesus. We don't need to think of him as a good bloke. We don't need to think of him as someone that makes us feel good. We need to think of him as someone who requires our faith. Faith is the attitude of trust, giving our lives over to him, entrusting our lives to him. We do this, don't we? We entrust the most important things in our lives to those we feel we can trust. We have faith in them. Think of the banks, for example. We take our money and that we don't often see, it's just numbers on a page these days, but we take our money and we entrust it to an institution called a bank because we believe that based over time and over the, uh, the reputation that they have, that they will hold on to our money and look after it. Similarly, we entrust ourselves to the hospital system when we feel not so good and we go there and entrust ourselves to them, knowing that we will get good treatment and be cared for. We do the same when we organize our wills or when we organize some legal document and we sign it across to somebody else who we believe is trustworthy. When we take something valuable and entrust it to someone else, that's what faith is. And Jesus is to be trusted, not just with money, not just with documents, not just with our health, but with our lives. We take our lives and we give them to Jesus. We hand over our lives so that it might be controlled and influenced by him, that he might be our Lord. Now, that doesn't sound like fun, does it? We like to have a, a a life where we are in control of our life, where we're in charge, where we call the shots, where we're doing what we want to do. But the Bible tells us that freedom is actually found when we give our lives over to Jesus. When we give our lives over to Jesus as our Lord, he leads us in the best and most wonderful way, delivering us a life of purpose and joy and fulfillment, not always easier now, but in the future, eternal life, with no sadness or sickness or death or pain. And the challenge for us is to give our lives over to Jesus, not only as our Saviour, but also as the Lord, the one who rules and reigns over us. The disciples did this. They had faith in Jesus. When they saw him turn the water into wine, they didn't just admire him like the guests at the wedding did. They had faith in him. Many Aussies today admire Jesus. They think he was all right. Nothing wrong with him. He helped a few people. That's a good thing. Jesus was excellent. Whatever. Doesn't really matter. A wise character of history. But admiration is never enough. Jesus is looking for faith, for belief for trust in him, to give our life over to him, to turn away from our sin and to turn towards him in faith. Of course, this is the hardest thing to do, isn't it? From the time we've been little, we've been taught to be independent in our culture, to be our own person, to do our own thing. But this is not what Jesus is wanting us to do. He is wanting us to depend on him, to rely on him, to have faith in him that is more than admiration. Well, Finally, in this passage today, we see that it opens up for us a small glimpse of the future. A taste of glory, if you like. See, the Bible is clear about Jesus and and a relationship with him being necessary for eternal life and heaven. That heaven spoke about is often talked about as glory. And here we see a little bit of that glory poking through. I don't know if you've uh, ever found yourself uh, driving down the south coast. Uh, as I, we drive down the south coast from now, uh, time to time, we find ourselves usually around that sort of jeringong Shell Harbour area. There's a lot of paddocks and bits and pieces out there. And it seems to be always, you know, cloudy and whatever else. And just occasionally you see a, a shine of light come through the clouds. You know, that noise, oh, that sort of thing that... I shouldn't make that noise, uh, that goes with it. And uh, when you see that, you think, oh, what a, what a magnificent thing, the ray, of, the ray of light coming through the clouds. It's, it's lovely to look at one of those. It looks like one of those scenes of, uh, from the movies or perhaps something you paint in a painting. Uh, but this is not the, the glory that's coming down that we see here in John chapter 2. Jesus brings the very glory of heaven with him as he comes to minister on the earth. The glory which exists in heaven and which all Christians will one day share, not now, but one day in the future, is peeking through here in John chapter 2 for everyone to see. See, when Jesus turns the water into wine, he doesn't change the water into some sort of dodgy watered down wine. He doesn't change it into the cheap plonk you get from the shop. He changes it into the best of the best and the people notice it. And it's a little foretaste of, of heaven where everything will be new and everything will be perfect and everything will be, as it was in the beginning, very good. My friends, this is what it's showing us in John chapter 2, that Jesus brings the to the earth in this part, in small part, some of the glory that's awaiting all followers of Jesus when they go to be with him. And this is what Jesus does on various occasions throughout his ministry. Jesus didn't always do the miraculous thing. He didn't always let the glory break through into this world. Occasionally he did as he conducted his miracles and wellness was brought to people for a period of time. Feeding and providing was brought to people for a period of time. And here wine was brought to people for a period of time. But in all of those occasions, it was these small pieces of glory shining through to show us what it would be like when Jesus is in his complete glory and we go to be with him. It's a small glimpse of what's coming for all who will trust in Jesus. Now, I can't imagine what that would be like. When you see Jesus' ministry and he's doing the amazing things, you think, wow, that is wonderful, that is amazing, and it's so different to our world. As Jesus brings these good things to the world, he doesn't just bring the good things, he brings the wonderful things. And to the people at this wedding, He allows them to taste just a small bit of the glory that uh, is to come. And so, for those of you who are already Christians, this is what awaits you as you are ready uh, to follow the Lord Jesus into his glory. That this glory that Jesus has shown here in John chapter 2 is something that will be yours in the future. Now, it's not to be had right here and now, Jesus occasionally allows his glory to appear here and now as well in various different ways. But for the time being, we live in a broken and sinful world. But when we reach glory, ultimate glory with the Lord Jesus Christ, this is what life will look like for us. So perfect, so amazing, we can't even bring ourselves to understand what it's about. Just as those guests at the wedding took the first sip of that wine and had their minds blown So we will have that in all areas of life when we enter our glory with the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is why we yearn and wait for this coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we want to experience what it is to be with Jesus forever. We wait anxiously for it, just like you wait anxiously for a long awaited holiday, or you wait anxiously for the birth of a child to come, or you wait anxiously for whatever else it might be. So we wait anxiously for the coming of the Lord Jesus, so that we might be in His glory and experience what this part of the Bible tells us is just a foretaste of what is to come. See, the problem for us is we are perfectly satisfied with what is here. As i mentioned before, a good many people call this area Heavensburg. That this is the glory. That this is everything you'd ever want. But the Bible says even Helensburg, Stanwell Park, Odford, Colcliffe and all the surrounds is a broken, sinful place where we see amazing things from God from time to time. But the glory that is to be revealed in the Lord Jesus in the future is like comparing that cheap wine to the best stuff, and that's just one thing in the glorious world that he's making for us. This passage reminds us not to place our hopes here in this world, but to place our hopes in what is to come, the glory that is to be revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ when he returns again. So know this, when you read this passage of Jesus turning the water into wine, know that this is part of his glory But his ultimate glory is shown at the cross and that at the cross where he dies for our sin, he invites us to have faith in him, not just adoration, but faith in him, trusting him, giving our lives over to him. And when we do, we have a future that is so secure and with even greater glory than what you see here in John chapter two. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this part of your word that challenges us to see the glory of Jesus in the cross, in this small act of turning water into wine, and in the future, the glory that you will give to us who follow the Lord Jesus. We pray, please, that you might help us in all of this uh, to uh, continue to give our lives over to him, that we might experience the glory in the future that you promise to all who trust in you. We thank you that this is the great gift that you give to us. Through Jesus Christ, we ask that you might help us today uh, to uh, once again entrust ourselves to him. In his name we pray. Amen.